0: You're listening to Chicago Writes, a podcast of the Chicago Writers Association. This episode of Chicago Writes, the podcast for the Chicago Writers Association, artist and author Professor Ana Castillo on art, writing, and her latest novel, Dona Cleanwell Leaves Home. Plus, how to create a small business content marketing strategy in 10 steps, a branding workbook for beginners. I speak with business strategy consultant Michael Finney. I'm your host, W.C. Turk. But first, a few announcements. Now is the time to join Chicago Writers Association. It's open to writers and authors anywhere in the world. Unlock a wealth of writer and author resources, programs and benefits for just $25 per year by visiting chicagowrites.org or click on the link in the notes below. Chicago Writers Association membership, by the way, makes a great gift. Don't forget to like Chicago Writers Association on Facebook and join our worldwide community of authors, writers, publishers, editors, and more. Every so okay. often a voice comes along to enlighten our too often banal and even inhumane eternal community reminding us of our intrinsic humanness by revealing the necessary perspective of the constituent other for professor Ana castillo that constituent other is her own mexican-american experience and heritage as the artist frida kahlo once described the intimacy of her work i don't paint dreams or nightmares i paint my own reality words that could easily describe the prolific writing of poet, author, and artist Ana Castillo. Her latest book is a thought-provoking collection of short stories titled Doña Cleanwell Leaves Home, published by HarperCollins. Her website is anacastillo.net. Welcome to Chicago Writes, the podcast of the uh, the Chicago Writers Association. Such, such an honor to have you here.
1: Thank you so much. I'm happy to be speaking with you today.
0: We're We're going to try to cover a lot of ground. Uh, we should be able to do this in twelve or fourteen hours. No, I'm kidding. We'll, we'll, we'll do this. We'll do this. <laughs> we'll do this. We'll do this very quickly. I have to tell you, by the way, I'm under a lot of pressure to get this interview right. My wife, also named Donna, by the way, got her undergraduate degree in gender and women's studies from uh, the University of Illinois here in Chicago, uh, and she's a big, big fan of yours so no I no 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 you. no pressure on on my point I have no. to begin here and I'll preface this by saying the banning of books is a chain around every writer's hands and heart in 2012 uh your 1993 book, so far from God was removed from from all schools in the the Tucson uh, school district after Arizona passed their house bill 2281, I believe, which banned the teaching of ethnic studies in classrooms in all public schools and charter schools. Is the book still banned in Tucson and Arizona schools?
1: Actually, I, I from what I understand, it was two titles. Uh, it was So Far From God, and my uh-huh. first collection of short stories, Lover Boys, because they were being used at the, the university. I don't believe that that is the case anymore. And okay. that was a very huge struggle, the, the laws that ended up taking away Chicano studies were constructed, were made to do just that. It's not as if they existed beforehand, they were made to do that afterwards. And um, that was, a, a, I think, a, a yellow or a red flag for us in this country as uh-huh. as far as what is possible um, for those of us in the literary world, we have to pay attention to these things. and you know, while I Indeed. understand that today it's you know, it's a you know, it's a banner to say you've had a book banned somewhere and so on. That's really not the question. I don't think the real question is what is the ultimate objective of this uh, as we begin to regulate what, Uh, teachers can assign, Mm -hmm. what libraries can have, what we uh, have access to. I will also add that banning is not the same as authoritarian censorship. The book was banned there, but -hmm. you could go to a library, you could go on Amazon or go to a bookstore and order the book if you wanted to. And that's what we really have to pay attention to. Are we restricted completely in our communities from access to this information, or is it uh, a particular source that's attempting to do that? Mm-hmm. And if it is, what does that mean, and what do we do about it?
0: It's kind of a slippery slope, though, isn't it?
1: Uh, well, of course, uh, everything in, that we're experienced right now is is a slippery slope. And it all, in, in all at the end of the day, uh, comes down to what do you believe, what do you think, what do you yeah. perceive may happen, and so on.
0: I'm more familiar with So Far From God, which was removed in part because it was part of a course that was that was titled uh, English and Latino Literature. It wasn't sex or something otherwise objectionable. In the book, uh, the character uh, Esperanza receives her degree in Chicano studies and then you write later back in college if it wasn't for la esperanza who led the protest they would never have had one chicano studies class offered on the curriculum hb 2281 was broadly written but it seems like it was narrowly administered
1: yeah well this was a local law in tucson and and in arizona it didn't affect new mexico and, and the rest of the southwest or the rest of the country. Yeah. um this was a specific agenda that was taking place and you know without having to go you know off yeah. into another tangent um you know tucson is right next to the border so this was yeah. all part of the agenda at that time of that place mm-hmm. and i don't think it's something to lightly dismiss again i don't think that the um, i know for a fact or well, i don't know for a fact but i believe that those who wrote up those uh, censorship laws had read my book, they what they decided was to dismiss the, the whole curriculum. I think the only book that they did decide to uh, to look at was uh, Paulo Freire's uh, pedagogy of the Oppressed. Uh-huh. But the rest of the books, were, it was of no consequence for them. And all of that, even though, you know, whatever we can think today and however we want to look at it, We have to see these as yellow flags toward our future,
2: Mm -hmm.
1: how laws are being drawn up locally to prohibit uh, certain thinking by the local communities. With regards to what I write about specifically, as far as my own uh, protagonist and subjects go, uh, Mm -hmm. it's what I'm familiar with. And that's uh, that's writing 101. Write what you know. What I know is my background, what I know is where I'm from. And I center, as I did with Dona Cleanwell, my characters and their location and places that I'm familiar with.
0: We're we're going to get into Dona Cleanwell here in just a little bit, but I, I I wanted to build a stronger picture of exactly the creative force behind Ana Castillo. I, I'm also I, I'm I'm a published author. I'm also a visual artist. I brought up Free to because you were you were also a visual artist, and by the way, we share a, a friendship with the very lovely uh, Erica Hilton at the Hilton Asmus Gallery and down in Bridgeport on the South Side, and she's she's going to hear this. By the way, there's a common theme, especially, and I'm thinking of several of your, of your pieces that you did for My Book of the Dead that are are very reminiscent of Kahlo. Do you think visually, or how does one form? of expression in form another, at least for Ana Castillo.
1: I started up in this life, this existence, being fascinated as a child, you know, by visuals and by the written word. Uh, I believed into my early adulthood Mm -hmm. that what I would do in my life, first and foremost, would have to do with the plastic arts, with the visual arts. That's what I thought. Um, I got involved in the politics of my generation uh, very young, when I was still in high school. And by the time, even though I was majoring in art um, in, in college, by the time I finished um, university, I had decided that poetry would be my thing. <laughs> that this is what would be my my main expression and and the and the principal way in which I would express my political views. A long time followed, and I began to paint again, Mm -hmm. as I did as a student, for myself primarily. Uh, But most recently, um, in these last uh, six or seven years, Mm -hmm. I began to return to drawing with a pen, not sketching, but drawing.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, And that's where we are now. And, And initially, with the drawings expressed was uh, just a release because i yeah. was so disappointed that all my efforts in writing had come to where we had where where we were politically mm-hmm. in this country and in the world i i left writing the drawing was almost uh, not just a departure but just a, an exit okay a complete exit from any of that and I was it was uh, as as my uh, visual expressions had been for a very long time were very mm-hmm. personal. And So today, those drawings, which are represented by the Hilton Gallery in Chicago, and I'm, I'm very honored and pleased to, to say that they are very personal expressions. Yeah, I'll give you an example. Recently, I did a drawing of how I visualize the jazz pianist Don Evans Mm
2: -hmm.
1: or I can do a lot of nature Mm -hmm. and I worry about our environments and ecology and so nature is important to me these things might not come up in a story or in a book but um, they come up in my imagination Mm -hmm. my conscious and unconscious and subconscious and that's what I draw and I don't do it in a kind of premeditated manner I don't say well, today I'm going to address the, the <laughs> possible extinction of bees, and so therefore I'm going to do a drawing about bees. <laughs> I do a drawing about bees because it's it's there in my head, and it could have come up in a story, and it may come up in a story, mm-hmm. but in this case, it's come up as a drawing. Well,
0: let me ask you, and, and this is why I bring up your visual work, especially when, when we're talking uh, about writing and for writers here, for writers that are... That are faced with writer's block, and those other forms of creative expression—poetry, visual arts, photography, uh, sculpture, weaving, whatever—can um, they serve as a tool uh, to dislodge, or crystallize, or clarify those intransigent written ideas? Is is that your tool for uh, to employ that you employ in your storytelling?
1: Apparently, it did. Okay. Late in life. Because uh, this was my first wish and desire was to be a visual yeah, artist, yeah. Uh, so I resorted to that. Perhaps just somebody else, they might go to performance. They might decide, uh, you know, I, I want to do macrame. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Come up, I want to do uh, work in clay. You know, maybe that's maybe that's the case. I don't mm-hmm. really feel like i I want to give advice on the creative. Because creative people are creative and they decide whatever it is they're going to come up with. And maybe that's the space to go. What happened to me, and this is the only thing I can honestly address, what happened to me was that after more than four decades of incessant writing, because Mm -hmm. that's what I decided this was going to be my thing, my way to express my opinions and my creativity and my politics, I was so devastated by the elections of 2016 and it's it's just very personal you know we can mm-hmm. judge it or not just judge it or argue uh argue it mm-hmm. but that's how i felt and what i did was i went to back to this this expression it wasn't yeah. deliberate it wasn't i'm gonna do this i i was gifted a journal a drawing um book mm-hmm. and um I, I took it out and I began doing that. I, I sort of see us
0: in the in the in the creative fields as kind of changing frequencies to to find that mode which best suits those ideas that that kind of come to us out of the ether, right?
1: And you know that might be just the kind of people that creative people are.
0: Yeah, yeah. But uh,
2: but you know, so... other
1: people express themselves the way they do. creative people have to invent something or design something or or move their bodies to something
0: so the the reason or the strategy behind that that earlier question was we're always looking to to help writers over that that word block or that that creative that creative hump or curb that they that they they find themselves and my best advice is always keep moving always keep searching for for something creative cooking drawing dancing whatever what what whatever moves you from from that block and the anxiety that that's created with that block from that moment into something else and then and then hopefully you'll find that thought unblocked at some point right right well
1: that's excellent advice and it's great if you, if you, if you can get that advice and if, <laughs> yeah. if you in a place to receive it, I live in a semi reclusive uh, environment in the mm-hmm. desert, I was alone at the time.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and that's where I went. And, it, and that's where I went. That doesn't mean somebody else would have thought to do that. So you can, you know, you, you can decide that, well, okay, I'll, I'll transfer this energy into something else.
2: Yeah,
1: you know, equally you could go to such a place in which you just stop altogether. Okay. I feel it, you know, it's almost, um, I wouldn't say a judgment, but it's, it's, it's a personal question when people stop writing.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, I used to think that there was no such thing as writer's block because I was always writing. Uh-huh. Then I began to realize not right away, but after decades that Although I pushed myself, the writing wasn't perhaps my best writing or best representative of what I could do because I was pushing myself yeah. so much. So I really think that that's a really highly individual resolution. You even I'm gave sorry. up writing
0: for a short time, right?
1: That was then. That was when I when yeah. I just I thought what 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 was what was the point? Because if visual arts was my passion and my desire and my intent and everything that I thought I was going to do but I chose to write I didn't study writing I didn't major in in writing or Mm -hmm. in English Spanish or anything like that literature I I love to read but that was I just wrote but if that's what I chose to do as my principal expression as a creative person and as my political motive because I do think that we all participate whether we choose we're conscious of that or not Mm -hmm. and this is where we ended and i reached this wall then now what so (laughs) so that was it i mean that was 2017 was like that's i'm done yeah
2: yeah.
1: (laughs) and i went another direction um and i'm happy to say and to announce today that i'm doing both Mm -hmm. i haven't given up either one i've gone back to to expressing myself visually and also to writing again but that was that was if you want to call a block that was a block that was a wall that i crashed against
0: so so what were the challenges in restarting writing or was it just this this sort of dam burst that unleashed your your writing again
1: you know the challenge was such a personal i i took where we were at politically in this country in this world so personally that the challenge was just moving forward yeah I was that much in that dark place just physically and mentally moving forward Mm -hmm. I I will add that I moved past that very quickly within that year some people can't sometimes you know years go by and you you can't get past it and I was I'm, I'm fortunate that I had the fortitude to push myself forward, yeah, yeah. and I and as I pushed myself forward, I returned to poetry, which was my first love as a writer, and mm-hmm. I did that, and then from the writing, I moved to um, short fiction, which is Doña Cleanwell, and now I'm working on a novel. But but I it, it took everything within me to to move. Mm-hmm. And you, you, you know, Western civilization, Western culture uh, fragmentizes everything. And so yes. it's like, well, are you a writer? Are you a mother? Are you a cook? You know, do you garden? Are you a teacher? All these things, but we're all those things at the same time. Mm-hmm. And so whatever I was at that time, all of that moved forward, had to push forward because I felt at the end of the day, I had no choice either you're here on this planet doing something or you're not
0: before we get into donia cleanwell i i found that that sense of fragmenting in in your visual art it it kind of it kind of reads as as a person that's trapped within within a web or within in these in this multitude of fragments uh, am, am i am i looking at it sort of correctly
1: well I, I I like your perspective I think you're you're referring to the lines yes and that's and that's the wonderful thing about yeah. um about our taking in visual art is it becomes yeah. very personal yeah and so your your in your personal view that's what you saw
0: but your um, your writing also also carries that same sense of frag uh fragmenting yeah. or or being being trapped in you know in a, a web like or being lost in in these fragments right
1: no no <laughs> I don't know. Right, can you be more specific this like, yeah you know, yeah
0: so a story a novel you know what let's let, know, let's let's story. let's do it this way and we'll and we'll come back to that okay. your latest collection of short stories don't you clean while leaves Home? I savored every word of this book. I found it absolutely beautiful. My takeaway from these women-centered pieces was that they describe these seminal moments in a woman's life. But also again, looking at your visual work, this definition of the self within and sometimes lost within that larger world. Does that make more sense?
1: Yeah, that makes more sense. and. And the larger world, you know, because and, and, I'm, and I'm so appreciative of your appreciating that this is a this is what is relegated to woman.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so when you say the larger world, well, what is the larger world? Where is that? Because women always are understanding innately and historically and traditionally the past, the present and perhaps the future. Yeah. But unfortunately for women we are not always in control of that world mm-hmm. so it seems it seems as if somehow we're in a uh secondary place in a kind yeah. of a second citizenship position yeah but that doesn't make it less than it's just a different perspective so um so I appreciate that that you're what you're saying and and it does feel i understand now what you're saying about trapped is it does feel like and it is because it is a constrainment because of the powers that be uh-huh. only allow
0: uh-huh.
1: a certain amount of power and and decision making on the part of these characters
0: can, can i read this part from tango smoke one of the stories in uh doña cleanwell leaves home which i think magnificently illustrates uh what you're talking about women did all kinds of things that society religion or men expected no matter how they repressed one's innate sense of self giving birth to child after child wearing a girdle and garter to work and sitting on a hard chair all day while hunched over a sewing machine you could enjoy baking sure but not if it was demanded of you all of this added up to a woman woman's life even Jackie Kennedy Onassis chic wealthy and waited upon all her life was admired most for her power for the powerful men she married you could become an Emma Goldman women anarchists for all their anarchy ended up doing things as dictated by men by the same token there were women without ideologies and politics out of the limelight and whose names not even the neighbors knew these anonymous women went about their daily affairs quietly suffocating under the pressures of society's expectations that, yes. yeah, that, which which I think just beautifully illustrates what, what you were just talking about.
1: Yeah, thank you. Um, I appreciate that. We don't, we don't uh, break down the things that are brought to us.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: Assuming that they're, well, okay, they must be important because they're brought to us. So mm-hmm. we, we heard about Jackie Onassis and who was jackie kennedy who was a debutante before that mm-hmm. all all our lives because these are models and these are models to society that we most of us can't even get next to not as yeah. men not as yeah. women not as anybody and then when we break it down we realize they were their constructions
0: i absolutely love the long and short focus of these stories. Um, I said women centered, but there are certainly moments men could and should relate to in the book which transcend gender. Um, Would you agree with that?
1: I hope so. Yeah, Um, I've given and continue to give much thought to the question of women's uh, literature versus men's literature or women's writing and men's writing. And clearly, we've all inherited what we've inherited. Mm-hmm. those of us who love to read love to read things that we more identify with and if you're you know a cis man a heterosexual man perhaps it's you know things about war or you know spies and so then you have women <laughs> reading things that are more sentimental because that's where we've been taken culturally there are yeah, two yeah. cultures um uh, and um, and that's where our literature goes mm-hmm. and so i know that that's where my literature falls. Mm-hmm. It also falls into the realm of being a brown woman, Mexican American woman, a Chicana, mm-hmm. Mex- Mexican, what have you, Latino, and then furthermore, um, as was pointed out by the New York Times review of the book, working class. Yeah. We have to yeah. be interested in that. We, we write from a point of reference. In go to work.
0: Yeah, yeah. We we write from from a a familiar point of reference
1: we're and we're and we teach that we say write what you know
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm. if you're going to write the best of what you can write and and um whether you know that was a rule of thumb for me or not because i didn't study writing it was important for me politically Mm -hmm. to write from that perspective
0: Mm -hmm. i I found Uh, I found a bit of myself in the title piece, Donya Clean uh, Clean Well uh, Leaves Home, Uh, growing up in a poor working class family, Depression-era parents, who saw very little value in in the arts and and pressed my brothers and I to get full-time jobs right after high school. Are are you a plotter, an outliner, a seat-of-the-pants or stream-of-consciousness writer? How do you build these stories with with this sublime amount of strategy
1: well i was returning to writing um in this in this book and in these stories uh-huh. as as we were we talked about um you know doing the drawing and having declared that i had stopped writing yeah and so on and so yeah. i did return to something familiar which was uh, my decade my age um, it's not autobiographical but it's familiar it's uh-huh. someone I knew or went to school with so um coming from that place I I, I build on this story uh-huh. my purpose primarily in the story is really from a craftsperson's point of view let's get the details yeah get to know who this person is what are their objectives What do they care about? All the things that we teach in creative writing classes Mm -hmm. was really what I was doing in this story as I was building it. Um, And this was the story that came about, which was a story about a a working class girl in the 70s. Mm -hmm. Um, And I also brought in something else that everyone likes to deny, but is for whatever reasons we do as fiction writers, is that um, there's some truth to it. And what was true in this story was a story that I had heard from my own mother who worked in a factory about a woman that she knew mm-hmm. who had left her home for the purpose of of going off with her female lover who worked at, at, at the factory. And mm-hmm. she just mentioned it in passing, but I built on it. So I brought her all together, which is how we, we write our fiction is some things you heard about some things you experienced some things you feel some things you imagine the what ifs uh, and they were explored but primarily what happened in this story was me returning to learn about writing and appreciate writing Mm -hmm. and to make it as entertaining as real as convincing um persuadable as possible
0: so let, let me let me ask you about about this passage then uh from donya cleanwell leaves home one of the stories uh in in the title uh the title piece from from the book the young woman put her hands up in the air and looking at the brown-skinned girl in front of her as if she was delusional finally said you'd have to cut your hair and anyways, you're not tall enough besides you have to speak English I speak English said Katya who had asked her question in that language again the haughty anchor said nothing the young man looked at one then the other and spoke up as if volunteering to translate oh I think Sherry meant you have to speak it correctly and you can't have an accent Katya turned away wondering if she had an accent and if so what was it she understood Spanish well enough but it wasn't her first language glancing back she saw the pair at the table looking at her like a stray dog that needed shoeing. First of all, I I found I I found something in that experience from my own from my own past. Um which, which again speaks to that 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 broader and and the, that wider and shorter lens uh in, in this beautifully crafted story. Um but where did that episode come from? You
1: know, again, this is like um teaching fiction. 101
2: yeah
1: yeah. a little bit of what you know (laughs) get your purpose together um i i put together a multitude of experiences i have had Uh throughout my life primarily in this country but i could use examples in other countries Mm -hmm. when i'm speaking to privileged privileged feeling white americans who couldn't conceive looking at me visually that I was speaking <laughs> in English. And I don't know why, and we're here or in Chicago, or wherever we are, and I don't know why. And they would come right up to my face as if trying to understand my language, but I'm speaking <laughs> English. So that's one example. It's happened so many times and in so many horrific, embarrassing ways for this country that that should happen to me. Um, I also remembered, and this is far from the case today, Yeah. but in my generation 40, 50 years ago,
2: uh-huh. um,
1: an anchor, of course, we have, if it was a female at all, and we all have heard about the struggles of female anchors,
2: mm-hmm. but
1: if she was going to be um, uh, an anchor at all, then she had to fall under certain criteria. Mm-hmm. So if you they look at you they're looking at you if the audience is looking and already they don't (laughs) think you're speaking English although you are speaking English Mm -hmm. what else are they perceiving and so this was what um had come to mind I remember um being at some uh, some kind of mass uh, gathering in California in the 70s and a Chicana said you know she wanted to be you know news TV and they said she had to cut her hair Mm -hmm. Uh, that's not the case anymore that was also the case for me in chicago in high school you have to cut your hair to be a professional so all of these things which are long past us were 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 criteria even if they look at you even if they're not hearing an an accent even if you're speaking to them they're convinced that you don't fit that you're not eligible that you're not qualified because privilege tells them for me to be where i'm at you can't be here and that's what is going on with this this character, Katya. Is she doesn't quite get it, but she's getting it. You know, I'm asking the right questions and I'm speaking English, but you're not hearing you're me. You're not hearing me, yeah. Crazy making. You know, speaking of gaslighting, I mean, <laughs> racism and prejudice was the major gaslighting for so many yeah. people of, of my generation before yeah. and after
0: there's so much in this book uh is an is an amazing story about about how we carry each other's stories in this life and beyond this life Ada and Pablo I I I that was that was such a powerful powerful story um but we're we're kind of running short on time here so let me ask you about Tango smoke uh and maybe this is because my wife is going through menopause uh, how maturing women perceive their sexuality and desirability against our all our all too often youth directed paternalistic culture, right?
1: Well, um I I created this character in, in the nineties because in the nineties, the nineties were a time in which women um, in the United States and maybe around the world yeah. were being told that they were all powerful. All yeah. kinds of visuals and and media was catering to to women in the '90s, but those same women that were being told this were simultaneously, um, whether behind the scenes or mm-hmm. in their lives or in the homes, um, were being uh, denigrated, uh, if not just belittled in different yeah. all kinds of different ways, and so. Yeah. I, I, again, I have a character who's from the working class, and she has, she has the, um, she, she can see around her through media that all Mm -hmm. the things we just said, Mm -hmm. but at the same time in her own life, where's, where, where is really her power? Oh, oh, great. I'm divorced. Now what?
2: Yeah. Okay. I'm
1: single again. Now what? Oh, (laughs) um, you know, I don't have to worry about my children because they've gone off to college or to work, but I'm still, worried about them so now what so where is the power that this this figure um the the matriarch the soon to be crone in history mm-hmm. has mm-hmm. in our modern society
0: you kind of structured the book and at least this was my takeaway uh you kind of structured the book as this um this back to back to the beginning chronicling these these quietly pivotal moments in a woman's life from middle age back to high school um was was that intentional am i uh, am i looking too too hard at that
1: you know um again my primary my primary aim with this book was returning to writing mm. and um allowing myself to... you did in a half <laughs> <laughs> i i i really uh after the poetry and, and the book of my book of the dead, the poems had just come out, where I, I released my greatest concerns. I think that were were were, were happening around mm-hmm. us, but also oppressing me in so many ways. And so now I'm going to go back to prose, left margin to the right margin, nice. you know, ex- expressing um, feelings and details and descriptions and you know so on. So that's where I went, I I, I comforted myself in writing about um, times that were familiar to me. Yeah. Um, but I think it's worthwhile for everyone who was there and not there and almost there and, or never was there to mm-hmm. take a look at these stories because they're leading up to where we are now and where we explored this wondrous promising time of a uh, of feminism in contemporary times mm-hmm. to where we are now which is a very explicit shift sideways and backward. yeah um and we we'll really have to take a look at it and um while i did not express this in these particular stories i think that once again something that has concerned me in my writing and in my life is the the exploitation of capitalism of anything that's popular and so now we are in a place in which femininity being female is uh, being exploited through the free enterprises system and capitalism to its fullest Mm
2: -hmm.
1: under the guise of feminism i'm free to do what i want and so forth and therefore (laughs) i can i can be as feminine as i want to be and you know six healed uh platform shoes and so on and so forth. I didn't get to that. I was still just dealing with the comforting waters of of my familiarity. But that's I, I that's where I would probably have gone next. And mm-hmm. that is uh what does this all lead us? Is this leading us to anything? Mm-hmm. Is being um a free and independent woman simply mean that you make a lot of money? Mm-hmm. Does that is that what independence means? So anyway they were very modest stories they've been touted as telling the secrets in our families and all families have secrets and things mm-hmm, we, don't,
2: mm-hmm.
1: we don't you know talk about uh thanksgiving and in our on our gatherings and so on so um that brought me back to my writing and i'm very happy to be able to say that it led me to return back to writing a novel and that's that's what i'm working on now um but i do think if we stop for a minute to think of secrets in our own um physical developments there's something to be said about yeah. and, you know these these women's stories
0: indeed any uh by the way any any plans to uh to turn uh doña Cleanwell while goes uh leaves home into a video game to reach that younger market segment i'm, I'm only <laughs> i'm
1: not a video game but i'm very <laughs> happy that um that there was um uh an, uh there are agents that are scouting to make this a visual, maybe a TV series or something. Wow! That wow, that would be beautiful. wonderful. Yes, yeah, so I'm very, I'm very honored and pleased to 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 know that that touched and resonated with uh-huh. a, a generation from uh,
0: uh, in English language or or kind in, of a, a
2: yes
1: in, in, here in the U.S. But uh, but uh, you know, an international audience as, oh, as well. they're doing you know, a lot of uh, a lot of. TV series and
0: movies. Spectacular, back to Ana Castillo. In a 2022 piece, My Word Would Have Been Conviction, an interview with Ana Castillo by Christine Maul Rice, published at the Chicago Literary Hall of Fame, headed by my old friend, by the way, uh, Don Evans, who you know, Rice uh, writes, like Chicago, Ana Castillo can't be easily summarized or neatly categorized. Her body of work, poetry, essays, short fiction, novels, plays, translations, debrief uh visual arts is at once expansive gritty badass sexy gorgeous disturbing humorous erotic bold dangerous explosive biting and lyrical the writing never panders to the reader it's meant to challenge i could not agree more with that assessment uh her latest collection of stories is donya cleanwell leaves home the website is anacastillo.net professor thank you so much this was wonderful
1: Thank you so much for your
0: time. Michael Finney is a business strategy consultant focused on media and message. He's just written a book, How to Create a Small Business Content Marketing Strategy in 10 Steps, a branding workbook for beginners. This is a bit of that conversation. Michael Finney describes himself as a traveling carnival barker. Finney is a business strategy consultant focused on media and message, crucially important tools for writers. He is the author of a number of books, including 1893, Chicago's Columbian Exposition, and How to Create a Personal Brand in 10 Steps, which we covered on this program a while back, and I'll link to that in the notes below. His latest book is How to Create a Small Business Content Marketing Strategy in 10 Steps, a branding workbook for beginners. The website, michael-finney.com. Michael Finney, welcome back to Chicago
3: Writes, buddy. Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, great to be back. Good to catch up. And
0: so we spoke previously about how to create a personal brand in ten steps with authors, sort of using that strategy as a tool for for their sales and marketing and outreach and and success. Uh, and so I thought that. How to create a small business content marketing strategy in 10 steps uh, was kind of an addendum to that am i am i sort of seeing that right
3: yeah for sure i would say okay. that the content is not exactly the same i did brush it up a little bit and give some new examples there's also a different case study in this book compared to the previous one which was focused on the chicago 1893 project this one is actually uh-huh. focused on um, some AI materials that I've produced uh, this year, and okay. a lot of that kind of uses the AI tools to make content about AI tools. Wow. Uh, very, very recursive in that way.
0: You sent me an audio piece titled Relic, uh, a beautifully written and presented piece. It's clear, clean. What I found interesting about this piece, and I've argued for for this In regards to audio stories and books, and that is sound or soundscaping, as I call it, uh, which I think offers a great segue into your book, right?
3: Yeah. So, Relic the Element is a short story Uh that I wrote uh, based on actually a song that I had written years and years ago when I was a kid. In total, that might be like 12 or 1300 words. It's not very long. And Mm -hmm. that doesn't make for a a great package I wouldn't say you know so the way that I looked at it was to kind of build it out with a few other stories so the, there's my story and then there are three other stories from authors that folks might know mm-hmm. uh, Edgar Allan Poe um HP Lovecraft and Frank Belknap long so I mm-hmm. do three other stories in that uh, audiobook release as well and to get to your point about this soundscaping I was looking at that and saying okay you know, I really want to explore creating these audio textures to to make it more of an experience. Mm-hmm. So the sound effects and music and kind of environmental atmospheric things that you can utilize in sound to create the story as well have been really helpful. So there's actually two versions of each of those stories. All four of those stories have two versions on the audiobook, right? There's a straight read where it's just my voice and maybe some of the characters and then there's the audio play version which has all the soundscaping stuff and some of that started to make me think like what if i could create a video version of of relic the element Mm. and so i've been kind of working on that as well and you know i'm not a visual artist but uh tools like stable diffusion are helping me to be able to visualize and realize This story in a visual way. So now I'm kind of stripping it down to where it's like, okay, what if I can do an animatic version? where there's visuals that accompany the audio play, right? And then even in addition to that, to go another step forward and say, what if I could turn this into a short film? And in a short film, you really need to show instead of tell. So I've started to strip down the relic to just the audio and say, okay, what portions of the story are not coming across in the audio Mm -hmm. that I will actually have to do more of to create a short film version. And that will only be maybe two or three minutes long. It's going to be quite short, yeah. but I'm, I'm you know, trying my hand at, at a little more film as well. So
0: that makes a great argument for, for AI. Uh, one of the best that I've heard, I've heard a lot of criticism. I've offered a lot of criticism about AI and creativity, but it does open up and it does sort of democratize uh, the creative process for people who haven't gone through you know a lifetime of creative training or or specialized training in school that AI can can help you paint pictures towards that that greater realization of of your your product or your brand or your idea right
3: yeah so let me address a couple of those things because i'm i'm not on the fence about ai in any sense i am uh i do have a very complex position about it one that is it has a couple of accesses to it and i think that when there's a human oracle involved in the process right that we are guiding those machines towards you know uh the things that we want to realize Mm -hmm. that's good now inversely amazon has just released a new policy to where they are not going to allow people to publish more than three books a day Um, and and that is an immediate response to gpts and um you know llms which are allowing people to just churn out schlock and slam it up on amazon
0: we've talked about those programs here on on this podcast that there are some ai programs that allow you to to write a uh, a 90,000 word book in a matter of minutes.
3: Well, you know, uh, I think if you want to turn out, let, let's let's say this, you might be able to turn out 90,000 words and you mm-hmm. might be able to put that in a book, but you mm-hmm. probably are not going to be able to get people to be amped up about that. Yeah, production. Right. Um, now, the the flip side of that is I have used AI uh, writing tools to generate drafts or to explore my ideas that I put mm-hmm. in there. Mm-hmm. And what I get from that is really just a, a first step of kind of realizing the things that I had in my head, which yeah. to me is no different than like writing things out and going back and and editing and redrafting and yeah. revising things and how much of that initial, you know, computer generated copy ends up at the end. Uh, you'd be surprised how little makes it. Yeah. Uh, and how much of it ends up on the cutting room floor because it just is not, it's not in my voice or it's not in the voice necessary for the project. Oh, I've got a blank page. Well, you know, in a couple of minutes, you don't have to have a totally blank page, but mm-hmm. at the same time, you shouldn't just slam that out somewhere because it's probably going to be crap.
0: I've heard from a lot of people who say that they were distracted by audio sound effects in audiobooks. I've also produced several radio plays in the old-time radio tradition of layering sound under dialogue and expressing action for for a two-hour radio play that is that that entails a lot of work Uh, again that's probably far more than most authors could or or should worry about but in the age of television video and streaming wouldn't a large market segment be excluded in not adding at least something of that extra dimension to the art form
3: right which i think gets after the point that i was mentioning before at least on Uh the relic you know i have a straight read if you just want to hear me read these stories if you like my voice and you want to just hear me perform these readings that's available for you Mm -hmm. if you want a more immersive audio experience that's available for you too
0: So let me bring this full circle back to how to create a small business content marketing strategy in 10 steps, a branding workbook for for beginners. So I picked Mm -hmm. out some important points from the book, um, which, by the way, is only 70 pages, uh, but packed with great advice and insights. You begin with this. Uh, In my professional work and personal experience, I've spent quite a bit of time thinking about the space that exists between our social profiles and the social networks that host them this often leads to considering how media translates from one medium to another across platforms the various formats become a collection of slightly different perspectives each helping to better express the actual experience or concepts being documented because people learn differently they engage in different formats and some of those formats are more or less conducive to a a particular message or idea, right?
3: Absolutely. So let's say just with this book right now, uh, uh-huh. and and then I'll extend into the project more broadly. So right now, uh, this book you can get it as a paperback or you could get it as an ebook. There mm-hmm. are some people who really physically need that paperback. They want to be able to take it with them or write their notes in there. Yeah and kind of work through the the process the tactile experience right and then there are other people who are like uh you know I only want this on an ebook because mm-hmm. that's where I keep all my stuff and that's just the easiest way for me to to save space yep. or to make sure that it's with me at all times but let me talk a little bit about process now so before I even released both of those two initial versions I performed the audiobook reading of this as a way to do a final round of editing on the book as well. So the audiobook is not available right now. It's sitting on my hard drive unedited, but it is performed. In addition to that, there's also the the video course for the personal branding version of the book that's out there, which again, a lot of this content is very similar I probably won't release a video course uh, specifically made out of this one uh, just because like it's a lot of heavy lifting and also like i said the content is fundamentally the same if you get out front of this and you create these assets you can continually deploy them regularly and they're ready right there at the time that you need them as opposed to having to like backtrack and then create these things you know obviously for me, it, it was a very linear way of producing this stuff. And I would like other people to be efficient and to be able to, to direct themselves that same way, because I think mm. it will save you time. But it also, more importantly, say that I am meeting with a podcaster and I want to be able to give them a couple examples. It's already it's it's there for them, yeah. you know, or if I want to create new materials for promotion, um, or some new remix version of this material that's available, really creating the the small business content marketing strategy version of this material uh, just came out of saying like, I want to tweak this stuff and focus on entrepreneurs who are a little more established than somebody <laughs> who's like doing a startup of themselves as in a personal branding sense and really just trying to have a presence uh, because I think a lot of businesses are already out there with their services or their products and they're, you know, they are already in motion. They might just need a little bit of help uh, thinking through and crystallizing their thinking about their brand or their content strategy. And so that's where, that's where this new version uh, came from
0: my attitude when publishing words pictures audio or video is different and reflected by the methods I use to publish each media type are are we thinking in terms of structural component that's unique to each format
3: yes and you know for me everything starts with the written word um you know obviously sometimes Mm -hmm. I am a photographer and Mm -hmm. I will take a bunch of photos but I have a hard time just offering up these photos without contextualizing them through words. So, you know, in the in the sense of like the national park stuff, right, Uh, Mm -hmm. that started out as like you're visiting these parks, you're taking photos. And I want to I want to write about them just to document like what I was doing or some of my thoughts about that or the experience that I was having with the people when I was there. And um, you know, offering those up as as blogs or Instagram posts, in fact. Like a lot of those started as Instagram posts, whereas like here's a couple of the photos, here's a little blurb about what I'm thinking, and uh, you know, grab all that stuff up together. That can become a blog post if you if you kind of uh sequence everything, images mm-hmm, and the mm-hmm. words, but then you need to transition stuff. So you need a little bit of a beginning, a little bit of an end, and maybe to help people move along through whatever narrative you're constructing. Uh, and then that becomes a potential chapter in a book. And maybe you go back through those words again, and maybe you have to say, okay, there's 10 photos, but I can really only manage to place eight of them according to you know the layout that I have available for myself. So it is really kind of that refining and editing process. And then mm-hmm. again. Again, if you make videos out of these things, as I, as I've been moving through that project, I have begun to capture more actual video of these sites because I'm making videos out of them. Volume three of the national park series, you know, the manuscript is in place for that. I -hmm. have to do more editing and more, more bookending of it, but Uh, that is going to actually be shaped a little bit different. The first two volumes were really just made up of these various trips that I took, whereas volume three is going to be uh, a one-shot run that I took last year in the spring where I actually visited uh, like seven parks over the course of you know uh, a week and a half, two weeks. The narrative is actually going to stretch through all of these park visits Mm -hmm. as opposed to them being more episodic. And Mm -hmm. it's changing... How I'm approaching developing that content, not only in uh, an editorial sense, but also a videographic sense, to where it's like, well, you know, how how am I going to?
0: But you're to, building kind of a continuum yes. between the different formats.
3: Yes, absolutely.
0: We were talking scalability a moment ago. Uh, you brought up Substack uh in the book as a blogging platform and newsletter distribution channel the layout of the articles includes pictures embedded videos and even tweets all of these things form the basis of the pictorial interpretation of the text-based sentiments I had written it's it's a ready-made tool right like yeah that that can add to that that scalability you don't have to reinvent the wheel the wheels there for you to 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 hop on and take off
3: right to speak to distribution um and to be able to kind of use more of the buffalo right uh Mm -hmm. substack has a podcasting feature i was able to import all of the podcasts that i had created Mm. uh, up to that point into substack so it populated this huge amount of audio content into substack which like you know the people that are Devoted to Substack, well, they're checking out that podcast through there, so they're. I'm getting, you know, a, a slightly broader audience or uh, more plays of the podcast through that vehicle too. And like mm-hmm. when you, again, it comes back to like if you have those assets, being able to have them at the ready to distribute through new channels is very valuable. Because-
0: Michael Finney's latest book is How to Create a Small Business Content content marketing strategy in 10 steps a branding workbook book for beginners the website is michael hyphen finney.com
3: the website is michael hyphen finney.com okay. mm-hmm. just to clarify yeah yes if you don't have that in there i think you get the magician uh you know who's been out there he's owned that that domain <laughs> since the 90s so you that's right yeah it. yeah
0: michael hyphen finney.com creating magic of your own buddy uh see what i did there hey huh. thank you Thank you, and check out my full conversation with Michael Finney on my Playtime Playcast, linked in the notes below. I'd like to thank Michael Finney and Anna Castillo and to all of you who listen. Please subscribe to this podcast and share it with the writers in your life. And that will do it for this episode of Chicago Writes, the podcast for the Chicago Writers Association. A reminder, your $25 membership to the Chicago Writers Association unlocks a wealth of writing resources. The Chicago Writers Association is a charitable 501c3 organization. Visit chicagorights.org. I'm your host, W.C. Turk.